Welcome, friends, to another edition of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimension of our lives and those of our children as well. I'm your host, Richard Wolf. Two quick shout-outs before we jump into today's program. I want to salute, first of all, the women of Iran who have taken to the streets and have broadened out from an initial horror which we all share, at the murder in police custody of a young woman whose crime was to be wearing clothing not quite subordinate to whatever the religious police there require. A Kurdish woman, which adds the horror of the abuse of that minority to what is already a regime with a lot to answer for. I'm proud of what those women have done I'm elated at the fact that large numbers of men and women in surrounding countries and then across Europe have had demonstrations, the latest one I saw in Paris, France, in support and solidarity. That is what we are feeling and want to show as well. And the second shout out is to something called Zero Evictions. Turns out October is zero evictions month around the world. If you go to habitants.org, you can find out all about how to participate and support a movement that we still require here in the 21st century that says that it's a human right to have food, water, clothing, and yes, shelter, which means housing. What a commentary on the achievements of four centuries of capitalism that we still have to fight for people to have decent housing. Let's jump then into our updates. The first one is just a general comment that I have to make. Pardon me, I'm an economist. This is how I look at the world. Global capitalism is now facing what is really a storm of storms, a kind of perfect storm, as it's called, when everything seems to be crashing in around it. If you felt that way, that things are crashing in around you, maybe you can take a little bit of comfort from knowing it isn't you. It is, in fact, falling apart. The whole system is, and it's not clear whether, where, when, or how it can come out of it. So first of all, inflation terrible inflation in many parts of the world. As I've stressed to you before, not in all parts of the world. President Biden and his officials try to suggest that this is, well, there's nothing special for America. It's everywhere. Not true. Inflation very low in Japan. Inflation is very low in China. In case China is a particular example, let me mention, it's under 2% in China. Not eight and a half, nine, ten percent the way it is in North America and in Europe and so on. Adding to the burden of inflation that's out of control are rising interest rates, led by the Federal Reserve here in the United States and now being copied by central banks in the rest of the world who are afraid of the impact of the United States going it alone. That means the poorer half of our people have prices going out of control that they can't afford, and now interest rates that are going out of control that they can't afford. What kind of a treatment of the working class is it? And because the rest of the world is tottering 
under this perfect storm. They look at their own currencies, whether they're in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, and say, I can't hold what little bit of savings I may have, what little bit of wealth I may have accumulated in my own currency. It's too dangerous. You know where they go? To the economy, U.S., which is in deep trouble, but not quite as bad yet as they are. So they come to the United States, cash in their currencies, up goes the value of the dollar. But what you may not understand is when the dollar becomes more expensive, its value goes up relative to other currencies, it means that the people in those other countries have to give more of their currency to get the dollar which they use to buy American goods. So for them, the price of American goods in dollars has become more expensive, so they don't buy American goods. And you know what that means? Americans lose jobs producing the goods that a strong dollar makes it impossible to sell. And that means, that's what the worst of all economies means, we have an inflation, we have rising interest rates, and we have no prospect of this coming to an end. None. Oh, they'll tell you it's short term. That's like last year the Federal Reserve told us the inflation would be short term. They don't say that anymore. Now the Chinese are having their problems. That helps to slow down the economy. Europe is completely out of control. We are in a very serious trouble. And someone as famous as Mohammed el Arian, if you don't know about him, he's a big deal in the finance world, used to run the money for Harvard University, things like that. He says we're due for a big, bad recession and a longer-term stagflation. You know what that is? That's when you have an inflation, prices going up, but a stagnant economy in which unemployment is also going up. Again, the perfect storm. You know, we've known about the danger of stagflation, it's not a new word, for years, but we couldn't manage as an economic system Capitalism couldn't manage to prepare for what it knew it was coming. You know, it's a little bit like not preparing for hurricanes when they come, and I'll come back to that later. You know, it's very serious, and the pretense of the government, which is what psychologists call denial, that's not a solution, but it's the best they apparently can do, which tells you a lot about who's running the show. I want to shout out to the 1,000 food service workers who in the last week of September went on strike at the San Francisco International Airport. A thousand of them. Why? Many of them are immigrants. And by the way, when I tell you the conditions under which they worked, you'll understand that while scapegoating immigrants seems to be a hobby for some Americans, Shame is what they ought to feel. They earned on average $17.05 an hour. That's exactly six cents above the minimum wage in San Francisco. If you added up their 50 weeks at this, 40 hours at this pay, they'd be making $34,000 a year. And let me explain what that means. The median income in San Francisco for a household is $119,000. So they get 29% of the median. Median means half of San Francisco has higher income, half is lower. 
they get 29% of the median income. Average rent for one bedroom apartment in San Francisco, right, ready, per year, from $36,500 to $41,800. In other words, the average rent for one bedroom is more than the total income these people get. Yeah, so they live too many in an apartment. Yeah, so they can't maintain their apartment building as easily. How could they? How can they? How do you treat people like this? The complaint of the workers, they have no time at all. They have to have a second or third job. They can't see their own children. Yeah, you make them live in unbelievable circumstances, and then you add insult to injury by attacking them because they are immigrants, even though you take advantage of them when you buy that hot dog or that coffee at the airport. Well, I'm happy to say that Unite Here Local 2, the union they represented and the workers and helped organize the strike, was able to win in a few days a settlement. And I want to tell you about the settlement. They're going to go from $17.05 an hour, get ready here, ready? $22.05 an hour. A $5 increase on a $17 an hour pay scale. That works out to about 30%. Oh, they won't get all of it until the end of 2024. So there's another couple years or year and a half to go. But they're going to get a $3 increase right away. They're getting a $1,500 signing bonus for the deal having been voted through by them. It's an amazing improvement. They got benefits increases, retirement increases, quite a package. But of course, the alternative was that all the food shops would shut down. And here's a lesson from this strike. To get a settlement as good as that, better than most settlements in the country in percentage terms, gives you an idea of what a ripoff it had been all along to pay workers that poorly. How much profit can be yanked out of these people's hides by the work they're required to do? That it was decided after three days, the impossible, a 30% increase in wages, suddenly became possible. Anything to get that profit machine. And for those of you who know airports, you do know that the prices of what you buy for food at an airport is a luxury. And but it never went down to those workers, neither the American citizens nor the immigrants. No, no, no. They had to fight to get a decent wage and it barely gets them through San Francisco now. My next update has to do with FedEx. And I use the FedEx story only as an illustration. They announced that very shortly they will be raising their delivery rates uh, 7 to 8% right the first of the year in January. So if you expected the inflation to disappear, think again. FedEx brings a great many packages to a great many people, and the price of all of that's going to go up because they're going to charge more. So the guy who makes whatever it is you order, he or she is raising the price, and now FedEx is raising the price to bring it to you. You know what you're going to be paying? A higher price. 
So all the talk about inflation going away, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, FedEx doesn't care. And here's the second thing that's important about FedEx. They also announced that they have been delivering fewer packages. The economy isn't in good shape, says the CEO of FedEx. We're not delivering as much. And you know what that means? If you're not delivering as much, not the same amount is being made. No one's accumulating that stuff in a warehouse. So workers are getting laid off. There's that stagflation again, rising prices and shrinkage in jobs. Very sad way to treat the majority of your people, the working class, because it's out of them that the rising prices of an inflation are paid for, and it's out of them that the rising interest rates are taken. Last point, and I wish I had more time. We all saw the tragedy in Florida with what Ian the hurricane did. But what we have to think about as honoring the people who've suffered so much there, don't let it happen again. Don't allow money to be spent not preparing to evacuate, not preparing to provide housing, not having standby arrangements. What are you doing? How do you justify $60 billion to fight a war in Ukraine when you can't come up with what you know you'll need. We have devastating hurricanes over and over again. No excuse. This is a system that isn't working. We've come to the end of the first part of today's show. And before we go to the second half, I want to remind everyone that Economic Update is produced by Democracy at Work, a small donor-funded nonprofit media organization now celebrating its 10th anniversary. And because October is National Co-op Month, be sure to check out our podcast, All Things Co-op, that explores everything co-op, from theoretical and philosophical analyses to on-the-ground interviews with co-op workers. You can find this show and more on our website, democracyatwork.info. And while you're there, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, because there we are approaching 300,000 subscribers. We need your help to get over that point because it really extends our reach. Please stay with us. We will be right back with today's special guest, the head of content development for Means Television, Mr. Nick Hayes. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of today's economic update. I am very pleased to bring to our microphones and our cameras Nick Hayes by name. He is the head of content development for Means TV, based in Portland, Maine. He formerly produced commercials for GM, Google, McDonald's, and Ford, but then thought better of it and became a filmmaker. And eventually, with his partner, Naomi Burton, they produced the first campaign video for Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, and that all led to Means TV. It is the first worker-owned streaming service. In its catalog of anti-capitalist documentaries, movies, and short films, Means TV brings us filmmakers and voices that larger networks and studios often shut out. So they're a kind of brother slash sister for what we are trying to do as well. So first of all, Nick Hayes, thank you very much for joining us. 
Thanks so much for having me, Professor Wolf. Somewhere, and it might have been you, somewhere in, a, in our email exchanges leading up to today's program, somebody said that Means TV is a, quote, anti-capitalist Netflix. Could you just respond to that characterization and whether you think it's reasonable or not? Yeah, absolutely. So in the sense that our core offering is a streaming service, I would say that's accurate, that we are a sort of similar product offering to Netflix. However, unlike Netflix, we don't rely on speculative financing or accounting tricks to pay no taxes. And I would say we're anti-capitalist in two ways. The content we put out on the platform is content that we feel reflects working class life in the US and around the world. And we also are a worker cooperative and run the business in a way that aligns with our anti-capitalist values. All right. That's clear. Thank you. Um, and it helps me understand our collaboration here, which I hope will be the beginning of of more of this kind of thing amongst the two of us, but also to the growing community of worker co-ops that are critical of the system that they are struggling to survive within. Well, you started in a way with a political act working with Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Does that mean that you feel that Means TV is or is intending to become in some way part of a new left political reality taking shape in the US? Yeah, so my partner Naomi and I originally created a production company together, Means of Production, and our what we were trying to do with that company was create effective advertising and videos and content for only unions, very left-wing candidates that are running for elections. And so we did that for a time. We did a lot of videos for, for unions around us in Michigan when we lived there. And yeah, we did the AOC video. And I think uh, what our goal with Means TV was is to create a, a more enduring, long-lasting institution like there are others of uh, on the left, none that really specialize in television and film per se. But yeah, the goal is to create a, a, an institution that um, we feel is is a necessary component in bringing about revolutionary change. And we think worker cooperatives are an essential component of, of that movement and the movement to abolish capitalism. So in the same way, rank and file union members are a critical component of building any left party or left infrastructure, we feel worker co-ops are as well. Well, you know, I don't mind saying, and I want somehow to interject here, that a movement like this, the one you described, that you feel part of, that we feel part of as well, will only succeed if all over the place, without all that much formal organization, people like myself, people like you and your partner, Naomi Burton, begin to do these things. That's how a structure emerges. It's not all planned in advance. There isn't a clear blueprint. It never has worked that way. There's no reason to expect it now. Eventually, we will, as we are growing, which is in a way why you're here, we will reach a critical mass where suddenly each of us literally by what we do helps a dozen others like us do what they do and vice versa. And then it begins to take shape very quickly. We're starting to see that. But one of the reasons we wanted you to be here was to show 
all the people on the edge of taking this step to become part of this to be introduced to folks like you and Naomi who have done it and who are doing it and, and to see a model, a possibility, an example. Okay, here comes a, an important one. Since you are explicitly anti-capitalist, and since you talk about socialism and all of that, has that been a huge blockage or a problem or an obstacle on getting Means TV going, building it, growing it? In other words, how much of the old Cold War legacy is still around to make all this harder than it might otherwise be? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a a challenge we face certainly in getting coverage um, in airtime with traditional media because I think a lot of traditional or establishment media just doesn't understand the idea of being explicitly anti-capitalist and is maybe not interested in highlighting that about Means TV. But luckily for us, you know, as you know, Professor Wolf, the majority of people in this country are workers and not owners, and so. As a streaming service that makes content that reflects working class reality in this country, inherently that is going to appeal to a lot of people. And I think that's what we found. And, um, you know, we're entirely funded by our subscribers. And, you know, we've been growing every day, every year. And we have kind of built a slow growth strategy so that we're not overextending ourselves. We're not having to borrow huge sums of money from you know, venture capitalists or banks or anything like that. And so we think that that appeal to people is refreshing, how explicit we are with our politics, the fact that we have communists, we have anarchists, we have socialists, members in the co-op who are explicit about their opinions and perspectives on what's going on in the world. And so I think overall, is that a challenge? Sure. But I also think that we're able to reach people in a way others aren't because we are so clear about where we're coming from. And I think that's very, very important because you're not shying away, and I'm very glad about it. You're not shying away from saying, yeah, there are problems, there are difficulties, there are obstacles. We face them. We understand politically where they come from and why they're there, but they are not insurmountable. In other words, you didn't react as unfortunately many people who basically agree with you, you didn't hesitate to say, well, they got the money. And they got a lot of the power, but we got the people and we got the numbers because of the, the fact that there's less than 1% of the people who are in the position of capitalists and there's 99% of the people who aren't. And that this is they can't do anything about that because that's their system, the way they've organized it. And we're just beginning to realize that that leaves room for all kinds of critical perspectives, and you don't have to therefore fold up your tent and go home because somehow you can predict that it won't work. The fact is, you're here because it does, as we are, as we are. Yeah, and I think increasingly we see people understanding these more explicit terms around capitalism and socialism and like in the past where maybe we a, a group like ours would have had to brand themselves as more of a progressive or left media outlet we found success in just being very clear that we are anti-capitalist we have yeah communist socialist anarchist members and people understand that tell me who is your audience give us a sense and i mean here both the audience you now have you know in general terms obviously i don't want names or anything 
who do you have now and who are you going after in terms of who you think you can bring into that group that would be called your audience? Yeah. So uh, from the very beginning, uh, our core audience has been the overwhelming, I would say, majority of people in this country who see that capitalism holds no future for us beyond suffering, toiling, and environmental collapse. So we feel that that demographic is our larger, more broad audience. You know, we've also been following the even capitalist polling that's been tracking that, you know, people under 35, people under 40 are starting to prefer socialism over capitalism. Even majorities are starting to prefer that. And so we certainly also work to target those younger folks and younger demographics with content that we feel reflects their day-to-day lives and and their workplaces and things like that. So, um, you know, overall, we try to create television, film. We try to release content that upholds and champions these people's values who who see capitalism is letting them down. And uh, we try to potentially, you know, if we can't expand on those ideas about what a world that is anti-capitalist might look like. Here's a question to you almost as a profession or as a professional. In a way, media entertains, media teaches, media mobilizes. How do you plan or how do you hope Means TV will mix up these different elements, the entertainment, the information, the mobilization? How do you have a strategy about how you blend or how you divide up your efforts and time among these related but distinct functions? Yeah, I mean, I think we've always made it a priority to entertain first off because, you know, we feel that's our responsibility. And like I've been reading a lot of Ursula Le Guin lately, who, for people who don't know, is a wonderful anarchist science fiction author. And she talks about in, in some of her books about how it's so much more effective to tell a story that leads a person at the end of, of reading that to you know, look at that system in a new light and decide for themselves that this doesn't work as opposed to just telling them outright, hey, this doesn't work. And so I think that's a big part of what we try to do. We also really try to play with these ideas of utopia in a way that feels still grounded in, in reality. Like, what would the world look like without wage labor? What would, what would the world look like if community and sharing were central values? We find that these sort of thought experiments help plant seeds in people from all ideological perspectives, wherever they are in their ideological journey. And just give empower people to understand that the future isn't written already for us and that we can remake the world to suit the needs of all of us. All right, last point. I once heard a minister explain to his congregation why he was critical of wage labor. And what this minister said was, in his readings of the Bible, he never came across anybody in heaven who employed anybody else by paying them a wage. And I thought it was a masterful stroke in a context you wouldn't expect to raise an understanding that would then be carried in the rest of their lives. Look, you've been very generous with your time. I want to urge everyone, go to means.tv. It is a partner to the kinds of things this program tries to do. 
We welcome them as such a partner and hope that we can collaborate in the years ahead. And all I can say is from the bottom of my heart, I wish you every success imaginable as you go forward. Well, thanks so much for having me, Professor Wolf. And I urge people to watch Economic Update on Means TV as well, because uh, you can you can watch it there ad free, stream it at home on your TV. And uh, I'm a big fan. So great to great to talk with you. And to my audience, I hope you've been not only informed, but inspired by what is possible and what is happening already all around us. And as I always say, I look forward to speaking with you again next week.